Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And today, I'm so happy um, to be here in the studio today with Steve Hamilton um, with his latest, uh, his latest installment in the Nick Mason uh, new, relatively new series. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, exit strategy. Um, last, is this right, Steve? Like, welcome to the show. First well, of all, welcome. I'm so glad it's, you're here. It is great and, to be here. And thanks for picking out the songs for today's yeah, show. Yeah, I've never gotten to pick out the songs for an interview before. That was that was a lot of fun. Oh, okay. Tell us about the. Well, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. Some people find it a burden. <laughs> oh no, no. I thought you know, my my first impulse is let's go really strange which because i i do listen to some pretty strange out there music um bravo some some, some jazz and i mean some out there jazz like what, uh, what like, that didn't make it to the list here it didn't no because i intentionally sort of said okay let's just play it straight and and, and oh you never just songs. for next time because i'm sure this next will just time be we'll the go first out. conversation of many right Steve? next so. time we'll really go out i mean out there but <laughs> okay. um for this one i thought you know this series is set in chicago so this is a great song anyway the Eric Clapton song, and I, it's a little bit on the nose, maybe, but I mean, he—it's a song. It's a—it's a Valentine to the home in this series, so why not? And a great like feeling like you're already scene setting before we even start exactly. talking about exit strategy. Exactly. So, which is just out, just launched yesterday. Just came Putnam. out yesterday, yeah. Um. So thanks for. Come rushing over to my, my pleasure. <laughs> well, the book tour you're, you've started. A, yeah. A kind of a you've got two weeks on tour. Right. Um, which is pretty unusual for books, right? Like it's it's a lucky thing now because not every not everybody book does book tours anymore. Tour. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, in in my case, um, I, I still love doing it. Uh, I still and I always love coming back to Michigan, especially. Well, because you're so you're a native son of Detroit. I am. I was born in Detroit. In fact, just this morning, I I um, I did the Frank Beckman show, which will be the second my second favorite radio show that I that I do today. <laughs> today, but. Uh, and I, You're I a charmer, Steve. <laughs> I had never done Frank's show before. That's of course that's on WJR, um, and I I noticed as we drove by that that the that the hospital where I was born was like a block away. So it really felt like it was really going back to the beginning, you know. And because because I I was born in in Detroit, lived there a little bit, moved out to Dearborn. And then out to Milford, and then I went to this fine ins institution, the University of Michigan, of course. I graduated in 1983, and I went to work for IBM in New York. And it's it's kind of strange to imagine that I've actually lived in New York for you know for more years of my life than I have lived in Michigan. Mm, it, but I still come back here, and it still feels like this is where I really belong. And you've won. Was it in 2000? Five, you won the Michigan Author the Michigan Award. Author Award, right? Which is a huge honor. That that was it was at the Renaissance Center, and just because I mean Elmore Leonard won that award. Yes. So just to be in this hold the same award that Elmore Leonard uh, held and say this, you know, that that's just something that that really meant a lot to me because he's he was one of my heroes as as a writer. Yes. Yeah. Me too. Well, I can see why. Yeah. I could see. Yeah. Why, I can see why. Um, and so, and you're you're currently on tour now um, with Exit Strategy, right. and the paperback of the first book in this Nick Mason series, um, the Second Life of Nick Mason, is recently out. Yes. Too, yes, it um, is as well. So people can pick up both. Exactly. Both in. Um, and they should do that. They. Sh I th yeah. Why not? Why not? Right. 
Um, and and then when they come to the like tonight, you're going to yeah. be at the Ann Arbor uh, District District Library, right. hosted by Aunt Agatha's, yep. a great Ann Arbor, a fantastic, book, one of my favorite stores in the world. Yep. And and was okay. And so just like for historical purposes, yeah. was Aunt Agatha's here when you were an undergrad? It was not here when it I was an undergrad. Okay. No, but okay. but Borders was here, the original. Borders on State Street. Yes. Back when it was one store, one fantastic bookstore. We were just talking about this. And David's and David's and, was da- there and too. David's books was right across the street. And I can't I would be ashamed to tell you how many classes I cut. I mean, I would be literally I would I would be covered with shame if I told you how many hours I that I should have been in psychology or French. And I went to the bookstore instead. I was going to ask you if it was your computer science courses or your your English writing the, courses. Those the computer the science bus. definitely English. No, I mean I any any time I was lucky to take a writing class or an English class, then 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 I would absolutely go to it because. What kind of writing class did you take at Michigan? I didn't take you know in the way back machine, right? Steve? Yeah, I mean this is you know I come out of the University of Michigan in 1983. I have a degree in computer science. I was in LSNA though. I mean, I, I wasn't. A, I wasn't in the engineering school. Um, I did that because. I mean, '83 was a tough time for Michigan. I mean, if you. I mean, it's kind. It's it's kind of tough now too. But back in '83, uh, the, the automakers had really just gone down and really just taken a big plunge, and the unemployment in the state was 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 very high. And. Basically, it boiled down to I'm going to school to get a job, and my dad's paying for it for me to go to school. And that conversation about just going and getting an MFA or something, that wouldn't have gone real well. Uh, So I. Or having an English major. Or having an English major in in any form. I was going there, I was going to school for a practical reason, even though I love being here. But 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 part of it was 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 for that practical reason. But while you're here, that's that's one of the great things about a big school like this. Where, the, where you can find anything is that because I knew that I always wanted to be a writer and since I since I was eight years old. So how so? I just that's what because I, I love reading books, and I knew that someday I would love to be on the other side of the equation and be the one who's like telling the story that other people were reading. It was just it was just as just as, as basic as that. As that. Yeah, that, it was just a basic idea that I I love reading so much that I wanted to be part of that world, part of books. In some form, and you know, when I grew up, and you say eight years old, so I'm like, is there old, a yeah. story there? Like, is there a mo- like an epiphany? No, or it's. Did you- I mean, I I say eight just because it sounds ridiculous. If I was one years old to say <laughs> right. I was a writer, I mean, around, That's around very eight, Virginia Woolf of you, exactly. Around eight, you start to maybe imagine what you're going to be when, when you grow up, whether it's a fireman or an astronaut or whatever. Um, and I was going to be a writer, and even when I went to school here. I knew that's what I was going to do eventually. So you entered the novel, uh, your uh, a novel in yeah. the Hopwood. In the, in the Hopwood, right? Yeah, right. And so, and how did you write that novel? How did because you, you were writing that on your own, or were you taking yeah. a creative writing? I, class? I did or? take a creative writing class. I, I mean, I took lots of, you know, you you sort of fill out your schedule at U of M with with what you have to take, and then with what you want to take, uh, you have room for that. And so I was taking Eng- English classes. And creative writing classes, and I, I actually had a creative writing sort of independent study class when I was a senior. Oh, with who? With Gail Jones, as a a writer professor. She was only here briefly. But that sounds um, like she made all the difference. She was, ways. you know, on paper. If if you look at her life, she actually had a really interesting life. Most writers do. Um, hers was, but hers was very much unlike mine. Let's let's just say it that way. 
And if you saw the two of us together, you wouldn't think we had much in common. But there was something about her. We just did have a connection. And and she really helped me and, and, and encouraged me. And I wrote that. I wrote a novel when I was a senior here. And I submitted it to the Hopwood, you know, along with the other English majors and everything. And I, and, and it, I was fortunate enough to win the top prize for, I guess they called it major fiction back then. Thrilling. And that was back when the Hopwood, I mean, it was like $1,200, which is... You know, in 1983, that was a tuition. That was a semester of tuition here. It's not. It's changed a little bit since then. I mean, uh, but so that so that. But was having a big that thing. sort of um, affirmation too, yeah, is something really, that you love. I imagine that was, was the, that was the highlight of my whole career here. I mean, my my whole school career here easily. Getting a degree, obviously, that's great. All the friends I made, you know, um, going to Michigan football games. Uh, I loved all of it. I, I loved this school. I really loved it, every minute of it, and I would do it again. Uh, but that was the highlight. So it is strange that you find yourself in, in New York State because it feels like you've got such strong Michigan roots all around. Right. Well, you and, know. And your first ser- big series, Alex. Yeah, uh, Alex, uh, Alex McKnight. McKnight. Yeah. Set in, in the UP. It's right. I mean, when I. In I mean, a real I, place called Paradise. A real place called Paradise. And people who are listening here probably, you know, I don't have to explain that, that it is a real place because people out, out there probably have even, even been there. On your way to Whitefish Point? That's that- pretty much on the way to that. There's not much else it'd be on the way to because it's really up there. Um, if you go into the shipwreck museum or the or the sh- or the Whitefish Point, that's about it. Um, yeah, I was living in New York, uh, working at IBM. It took a couple, it took a few years for me to rem- sort of get back to that promise that I made. And this is, you know, this is something that I really feel strongly about. And when I talk to people who are, in fact, I actually gave the commencement address at Lake Superior State. Uh, it, it was a few years ago. I haven't done it here at U of M yet. Not yet. Maybe someday. That's right. <laughs> but I did. I, so here's I gave, a preview. <laughs> here's a preview. I mean, sort of my my address there at Lake State was was sort of felt like a preview. Um, and I was actually there was I was in the you know I was in the big gym uh, at Lake State, and there was a big Michigan banner up on the wall because Lake State is sort of in the same hockey league or or they were back then. So I was just looking up at that banner and thinking about U of M. Um, but there's all these kids, they're all graduate, all graduating from Lake State. Um, you know, they're all in their gowns. And I was, um, you know, every, everybody else had like a prepared speech. And I, and I usually never do that. And I, just, and, and I didn't that day. I just stood up and I said, you, you know, you're all wearing these funny gowns right now. And, and I wore a gown myself just like this. And it seems like, it felt like it was just yesterday even though, you know, you guys probably weren't even born yet when I was wearing mine. But the day I wore mine, I, I made myself a promise that I would, that whatever I did with my life, I would do the one thing that I wanted to do, which is become a writer. And maybe for you guys, it'll be something different. But before you take your gown off, just promise me that you'll promise yourself whatever that thing is that you're going to do it, even if it takes a long, it takes a long time to get there. Because if it's something worthwhile, it probably will take a long time. But just make just just make that promise to yourself, because that's because that is the promise that I had made when I graduated from this school, and it did take a long time for me to become a full-time writer. But uh, I did get there, and that's where I am right now. 
And how many books later, too? Because you've got multiple series, standalone books, as well as serials. Right. This is uh, the book that's out, uh, came out yesterday, is number 13. Lucky number. Yeah, number 13. And um, I I wrote 10 books in the Alex McKnight series and a couple standalones. And. I guess actually this is 14. I'm sorry. I just I just did the math. I, I kind of lost track. This is number 14. That's kind of That's a right. good good place to be in. I guess sort so. of losing track. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, let's um let's take a short break. We'll we'll hear another one of the songs that um that Steve Hamilton picked picked for today's show. You've got living writers. Uh, we've got the Liz Engineering. We've got Michelle Pernia as our studio audience. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be right back. Well, they're still racing out at the trestles But that blood had never burned in her veins Now here she's got a house up in Fairview In a style she's trying to maintain just tuning in. I'm glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. Today on the program, Steve Hamilton is here. Um, We've got two of his 14 books on the table with us. Um, It's the Nick Mason series uh, that we'll be talking a lot about today because Exit Strategy was just launched yesterday, um, the second in the Nick Mason series. Um, But let's, let's go back to Alex McKnight because this was this the series, the book, A Cold Day in Paradise, right. that started it all. It was, yeah. That was the first book. I mean, I had, you know, we were talking about keeping that promise to yourself, and 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 when I, it was joining a writer's group that got me back to that promise. How so? Well, because I was, um, you know, it's, it's really easy not to write or not to do whatever it is that you really want to do, play your music or practice or do the hard things it takes to, to make that dream come true. Cause especially when, when you're working full time, you get caught up in that and you have a life and you, then when you get married, especially and have kids, um, it's re- you know, just the time can just go so fast and you can actually wake up and realize that you never did keep that promise to yourself. And in my case, um, it was somebody at work told me about a writer's group that they were in. And I asked if I could come to the to the writer's group, you know. And just having that 
having those people in that basement uh, every Thursday night, basement of a library, uh, that's what I needed to sort of have that external kind of accountability almost, to have um, them waiting for me and knowing that they're going to expect me to have that chapter done or that short story done. And now it's not just me doing it when I feel like it. Uh, it's me doing it and knowing that I need to need to get it done. You, you, I needed a little bit of that, and that was just a, that was a, that was enough to, to to get me started again. Is part of it because then you had a very real audience as right. well. It wasn't the sort of idea of a reader. Right. I I had real readers, even if it was just those five people in in that basement. That was that was what I needed. So and you knew that they believed in you. Yeah, I did. And, and I did the same for them. I mean, it was very much, you know, they, they were writing their own things. It was a very diverse kind of, you know, thing. And, and is I, it Bill Keller, Bill and Frank, Frank Hayes, those, Maggie Griffin, no, Jan Long? No, no, it was just no. Bill and Frank. <laughs> Bill and Frank were the two. Um, Bill was the one who brought me into the group. And Frank was the other guy that, and I, I just, I thank them. I, I don't mean to leave the others out, but those are the two that I still have lunch with all the time. So we, and I was just pointing right. to the acknowledgement right, section right. In, in Steve's book, everybody. And I still so. do. And we still do that, by the way, Frank, Bill and Frank and I still, still do hang out and go to his house for lunch. And, you know, Bill will read, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go over some of the stuff that Bill's written and Frank and Frank became a published writer actually not that long ago. So it's, so it's, um, the group continues, the group continues yeah. in some form, even though, you know, I don't, you know, and they, and they don't care about, Edgar Awards or bestseller lists, I'm still which you have, which which, which you these which are I'm, all awards which I'm fortunate that you have enough to... to to have, yes, but they don't care about it because it's still this the same thing. They they read what I do and they are they do me the great honor of just destroying it if it's if it's not right. Well, and it's about the writing. Isn't yeah, it? it really is. It really is, and that's and that's that's what I needed. I you know not everybody needs that. Everybody's a little different. For some people, I know that a writing group can actually be a little bit sort of a toxic environment for them, especially if it's not the right people that they really trust. So it's not a magic, you know, thing. But if you have the right people, it really works great. But it sounds like then it also got you to be writing in the evenings. So is it that did. was that part of your process then, like a, a, a habit that you were able to it's, form? Well, it sort of had to be. I, I was I really, you know, I was working during the day. Um, going to IBM, and then that was my time. I mean, that was that was when I, I hear theoretically it's possible to get up early in the morning and write in the morning. I think people who do that are probably from some other planet that I that I've never been to. Uh, for me, it's definitely come home and and then you know, especially when I had kids, um, it's after they go to bed. So it's very much a late night thing for me. It was then, uh, and. When it was time for me, you know, I wrote some short stories, and um, I had my my first two short stories were sort of published right back back to back. One was sort of a what you'd call a a conventional mainstream story about my grandfather, and the other was was a crime story about um, I I'm drawing a blank on what it was about. Oh, it was about it was it was it was about a small town sheriff. Um, and some strange things that happened. And for the literary story, I got paid a copy of the magazine. And for the crime story, I got paid $44, which was a penny word, I think. Um, and not that, <clears throat> not that I was doing it for money, but 
it was just sort of one early clue into sort of if you want to do this for a living and make this your life, you know, there's there's one direction you might want to go in here. Was it the mystery crime thriller direction? Well, that's the direction that, that I went in and, and and that was okay because that's what I love reading. That's what I've always loved reading. So so if you go back to to that eight year old me and ask you know what I wanted to be, I would say a writer. And if you ask him what kind of writer, I'd probably, I probably I think I would have said a mystery writer because that's just what I love to read the most. Because there's something about you know mystery or crime fiction or whatever you want to call it. It has this sort of this basic appeal that it's like the stakes in in the story are so much higher automatically and there's just this there's something about that kind of story that's just satisfying and it doesn't even have to be a a good satisfaction you know because it doesn't have to be not, not all stories not all crimes get solved and it's not and the bad guy doesn't get caught all the time especially in a modern crime novel which is which are a lot more you know right so we can do a, do the a lot right more people things don't always are, they don't do the and, and in some of my yeah. books the, the the bad people have certainly gotten away with it but there's something about working out that whole dark side of yourself both as a writer and as a reader that that really makes crime fiction work and makes it sort of timeless and it doesn't hurt that there's been some amazingly great american crime writers who have elevated the genre uh, raymond chandler Dashiell Hammett. Dashiell Hammett. I mean, and I, you know, I was we were talking about Elmore Leonard before. Yes. And there are some great, great crime writers, even th- that are working today. And um, and you can do anything in a crime novel. So, woo-hoo. you can do anything. anything. Yeah, I mean, you can, and, and you can, you can show things now that mainstream novels have sort of gotten away from. Like you can, you know, this whole idea of an Upton Sinclair with with the jungle and how. You're this one person in this whole, you know, everything's against you and you, you know, you're just trying to, you know, find your place in in the world. Those kind of novels, a lot of those are crime novels now. So, for example, in Exit Strategy, that would be Frank Sandoval. Well, he's Frank Sandoval. He's the he's he's the cop in that book. And um, he's actually based on a on a real life homicide detective that I know who's working in Chicago. Um, Well, knock on wood for him. then. Yeah, I know. I mean, talk about a tough job. Uh, he gets up every day. He's one of twelve thousand cops in a city that has last at last count about a one hundred thousand gang members in it. So he's talk about being outgunned from the from the from the get go. Um, and he's just trying to do his job, you know. And he's a great guy. But it seems like in your books, you're all, also looking at the corruption that's endemic within the system, within whether it's the police force, whether it's witness protection services. Right. Like you're looking at um, the side of things that might be. I think that's what I was thinking you were talking about with the idea. Yeah, right. Well, that, like, what what aren't we looking at, which is present in our society? We can point and he, see like news things about gangs every right. night on the news, but it sounds like we need some bravery to address some of the endemic corruption that's going on as well. I mean, you do, and, and you know, I mean, it's it's it can feel kind of overwhelming especially in a place like chicago that does have so many obvious problems and and, and it's in the news and when you have a when you have a kid who's unarmed and just gets shot down you know 16 times and the guy you know the guy has to be stopped from 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 reloading his gun 
Um, and it's all and it's all caught on tape. And 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 then the mayor sort of hides it, and sits on it, and 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 suppresses it for months until it finally comes out. And then it's just a powder keg, and it just explodes. And it just and all of a sudden, all all the good cops, and and they're almost all good cops. They feel like they're the enemy now. I mean, their job was already hard enough. And now all of a sudden, you have you have half the city who who who's against you. And um, it's just it's a terrible situation that. And, and there's no easy answers to it, but and part of crime fiction, if, if you're writing a, a, a book that's set in that city, you have to address that. You, it has to be part of the landscape. Otherwise, it wouldn't be realistic. So with your first character, Alex McKnight, the first character in a long series that, well, it turned right. into a long it, series, yeah, it and did. it's not over yet. It's not it's over. over yet. It's not over. But but this, what was sort of unusual at the time was that this character, Alex McKnight, was older. You were writing an older <laughs> character. And in some of the genre, it seems like people tend to write their age or younger. That Yeah, yes. I sort of realized that after the fact that when I was first writing about Alex McKnight, um, you know, this is going back to that to that first book, and that was a that was a real different time when I didn't know what I was doing. Um, not that I know that much now, but I but I really didn't know what I was doing. And I said I just wanted to write a private eye novel because that's what I love. And everybody knows what a private novel private eye novel should be. It's the guy in the office with the with the with the bottle and the trench coat and the gun in the desk. And you know, I I tried to write that book, and I f- just failed so utterly. Um, which is good, which is a good lesson is that, you know, out of your failure as a writer, that's, you, that's sometimes where your best idea can come from. When, when you, when you try that something that's not right for you, you have to fail at it. I mean, you have to fail as a writer anyway. I mean, so, so you, so you might as well just do it. And, um, in my case, when I, when I just couldn't write that kind of book, I just said, okay, so what can I write? Because I want to write, because I, I just felt like I had this character who was a cop in Detroit, and something happened to him, and it was it was the kind of thing that he had to just get away from, and so it's like if you're in Detroit and you want to get away from everything, where do you go? And that's 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 easy. If if you live in Michigan, you know where where you go. You just go right up I I seventy five straight north, and there was a real town called Paradise, and I thought it's, it's got a great name first of all. And it really is in the middle of absolutely nowhere up there. So I said, I'm going to have this guy in a cabin in Paradise, Michigan, which is a, a horrible place to p- place a private eye novel. Because number one, he's an ex-cop and he doesn't want to be a private eye. And number two, even if he did, Paradise, Michigan is not the place where you where, where you do that because there's nobody there. So I, it ended up just being this whole different sort of inside-out story about a guy who kind of gets tricked into being a private eye and, and doesn't want to be and, and the, all that trouble that he was running away from it just sort of comes back to him and I, and I guess the whole point is that you can't run away from it no matter how far away you go it's always going to be there and um, I just followed that idea in this first in that first book and that was a cold day in paradise and that and, feeling that launched it was this feeling of failure and how that can drive someone it, it really was and, and you know it's it, it, my own failure at trying to write that first book that feeling turned into alex's failure because he was a cop who let his partner die right in front of him whether it's really his fault or not 
he feel he feels like he could have stopped it, and so he was a it was it was that feeling of failure that was the first note sort of in that in that book, and, and I just some, and a connection then that you right. add into it. It sounds like right, exactly a genuine something. That yeah, was real. it was something real and something I didn't didn't even like about myself being a failure. But sometimes as a writer, you have to take that the most uncomfortable thing and build a story from that because that's going to be the most real to you, the most human thing. Exactly. And so this reluctant hero, um, then Alex McKnight, right? Mm -hmm. Reluctant to become a right. PI. Right. And he shares that in common with your character, Nick Mason, who's also he, in a situation where he's reluctant to be the person that he's becoming. You're right. That's, that's one thing that they have in common. Let's take a short break and then we'll come back and let's talk about Nick Mason. Okay. And Exit Strategy just out yesterday. Today on Living Writers, Steve Hamilton is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Steve Hamilton is here. Uh, we've got The Second Life of Nick Mason on the table with us and Steve Hamilton's latest exit strategy out with Putnam um, just yesterday, actually. Yeah. Um, hot off the press, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so so you just you picked the songs for today's show, right, right. Steve, and um, we just heard a little Rolling Stones right. there. Why this song? Well, that's I mean that's my favorite st song by the Stones, first of all. But there's something about, I mean, and, and you said it's a very sad song, uh, but there's something about that feeling of you know, wild horses couldn't drive us away. I mean, he he wrote that about missing somebody and wanting and, and making a promise that he would always be with them. And this this is a feeling that. Um, in the Nick Mason series, it, it, it's it's really important to 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 feel that because if you don't, then you really are going to have a hard time connecting to this character. Because on, on page one of this first book, you meet him walking out of a prison. He's he is a criminal who was there for good reason. This isn't a case of you know mistaken identity or going to the prison for the wrong reason. I mean, he's he he went to prison because he made a huge mistake as a criminal and he went there for 25 to life and if you've ever been to a federal prison 
and uh, gone to a maximum security prison, which I don't recommend going there for long, by the way. Did you go there to research? Yeah, I've, okay. I've been there. It's, it's, it's really an amazing experience if you just go to a place like that for just, just an hour or two. And you can leave. Yeah, and you can leave, ideally. But um, even if you know in your mind that you can leave, it's, it's really amazing what happens if, when you go into a place like that and the door closes behind you. Because mentally, you know you're, you're going to leave. But physically, your body has like this reaction to being closed up in this place. And I think you, you sort of pick up the sort of the, the feeling all around you the, of, you know, it's, it's really a strange, unsettling experience to be in that, to be in a maximum security prison. And everything is different. The light and the air and the smells. And there's just this desperate sense of fear in this place. And your character, Nick Mason, had to make up an entirely new set of rules to live by. Yeah, he was this, is, in... this is a criminal who, had, who, who did keep a very strict personal code and made strict rules for himself. And, and, and in prison, those rules sort of get boiled down to just surviving and from one day to the next and just protecting yourself and just, just you know, trying to keep sane in a place like that. That's, that's really all the rules do for you there. Um, so his, so that was, that's the life that he's in as we meet him in this first book. And that's what this song sort of goes to. I think that that's sort of that, that sadness that he, that he just wants to get out and be with his family again. I mean, he, he, he left, uh, he left his wife behind when he goes to prison and more than anything, he left his daughter. She was four years old when he went in and now it's five years later. And the whole point of this book is that he is given a chance to get out. And he has to take it. He just has to because he has to see his daughter again. So that's the thing that's driving him. And that's and, and the most important scene in this whole book is the one time when he finally gets to see her again. And he gets to get down on, on one knee and say and tell her that he's so sorry that he had to go away and that all he ever wanted to do was to be her father. I mean, if that's if you take that scene out of the out of the book, the whole thing doesn't work. Even though it's just one real brief scene, it's it's right. the one thing that yeah. Because he asked for two minutes, right? You, yeah, yeah, you you not... you have to have him get that, because that's why he's doing all these things. Because 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 in this book, you know, he he steps out of prison, and he doesn't just step just walk out. He walks into a whole new life, you know, on the north side of Chicago with a beautiful townhouse on the lake and um, a restored Mustang to drive around and a beautiful roommate and ten thousand dollars worth of you know. 10,000 cash every month and you know on paper it's everything a man could want but there's a terrible cost for this a terrible price to pay and that is that whenever his phone rings he has to answer it and he he has to go do whatever he's told to do no matter what it is uh, and that is the deal that he made and there is no way out of it and the deal involves killing people it doesn't involve Delivering not, flowers. Yeah, to, it's yes, not like, it is. I mean, and it's and and it's kind of ironic to him because the guy who made this deal with him, Darius Cole, is somebody that he met in prison. They are surrounded by killers, by born, natural, accomplished killers. And that's not killers. what he's in for. And he he's not. He is not a killer. He has yeah. never killed anyone. He doesn't want to kill anybody. But Darius Cole sees something in him that he doesn't even see in himself, that he sort of discovers in that first book and certainly in, in the second, is that he's actually very good at it. And so that's what he does. This is his job now. 
uh, and the first book is all about him sort of finding his way in this new second life. And in the second book, Exit Strategy, as the name might suggest, it's just getting to be too much. Uh, he's these these assignments that he's given these these targets. It's becoming just more and more dangerous and more and more brutal. But even more than that, sort of inside him, he can feel himself turning into this machine. His reactions to it are just getting sort of numbed every time more and more. And he can sort of see what he's becoming. He's, he's losing his humanity. And there's even a, a model of what he's becoming, another character, Sean Burke, in yeah, Exit he, Strategy. Yeah, he will eventually so he meet, he will meet, he will meet actually the guy who once had his job, who walked away from his job. And you're right, that's a good insight. This is exactly what he is going to be turning into. So that's an interesting showdown between the guy who doesn't want to be a killer and the guy who was born to be a killer. And so Nick Mason is is also different, very different from Alex McKnight. He's a younger man, for one thing. A little bit. Um, and so now, and would it be fair to say, so now you're writing like a younger man character? Well, it just felt, you know, for for Alex, it felt like because of being a retired cop and being up in in, in this place and having his past come back to him. You need to have a past. Yeah, it felt felt like that was the right age for him. I didn't really think about, oh, wow, I'm writing a character older than me, which is which is kind of unusual. Although I have to say, you know, because because book time is different from real time. I've actually caught up to Alex and I'm and I'm Alex's age now. So I can relate to being fifty something now. When I, you know, I was started writing him, I was I wasn't even forty yet, and he was, you know, he was just about to turn fifty then. So when you have this long term relationship with a character and you're living in their world with yeah. them, you're with them in the because you're creating. It. Right. Um, sure. So what's it like living with Nick Mason now? Well, Nick's it's, a, it seems like a really different life. He's a, it's a very different life, but you it's know, flashy. It's in Chicago. It's flashy. <laughs> you know, it's there's there's a little bit of wish f- fulfillment part to it. You know, with all the cool cars and the p- fancy stuff, and it's very you know all this kind of movie stuff. But it's also sort of half of a living nightmare for him too. The things that he's uh, that he has to go through, then the things that he has to do. How do you differentiate these strong voices? that you're working with. Well, part of it, you know, one one thing that's interesting from a, from a technical standpoint is that Alex McKnight is a first-person story. So it feels more like I'm him when I'm writing Alex McKnight. And Nick Mason is is a, is a third-person narrative. Omniscient. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. we see his yeah, interior. You, you see so you and you also are other in people's his, you interiors. are in his head. I mean, it's always one viewpoint and if if Nick is around it's his viewpoint. But especially in the second book, it sort of opens up and you see things from other points of view. You see things from Sean Burke's point of view, this this born killer. Um, there's Nick Nick has this sort of this list of people he has to go after in the second book, and they, they're all witnesses in the who are gonna testify against Darius Cole in the who else, in, in the right? retrial. Right. Because <laughs> Darius Cole has his own exit strategy in this book and he's gonna use Nick to to get himself out of prison now. It's time to do that. So Nick is actually going after these witnesses, and um, the third one on the list happens to be the hitman that used to sort of have Nick's job. And this is the kind of guy who's not going to wait around for it. This guy sees it coming, so he breaks out, and he's he goes after Nick. That That's the big showdown here. So, and this is, as you're talking, since I've read the book, Steve, it's I can see also cinematically how it unfolds, because um, it's very... 
I haven't read the Alex McKnight book, okay, so I don't know how that would be different. Right. But my sense of it is that maybe the pacing of these are much faster and more cinematic. It is, yeah. It and, really is. And maybe with it the is. eye to film, because well, this one is the second life of Nick Mason is 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 has been optioned is and you're writing the screenplay lionsgate did did um they do have the option on on uh, on the first book and really and really i think the whole series is going to they're going to do it and and they are doing it and it's and it's moving forward and, and are you writing the screenplay with, i'm going to have input Salerno and help or it's it's actually not announced who's going to who's going to do that yet so that's that's still not 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 official who's not announced who's gonna, but you know well, no it's 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 actually it's um it's there's a whole story there but i'm actually sworn to secrecy and they're going to send nick mason after me if i say anything about it there's a, <laughs> right. there's, a couple, there's a couple big announcements coming about about the movie but they're but they're really going to do it and it's going to be filmed in chicago and it's going to be a blast just to be a part of it do you think you'll set a series in detroit at any point well or is that too close to home because it's your birthplace? you know i mean alex is from detroit and Alex does um, the last book in the series was Let It Burn, and it was it was a story that about him coming back to to Detroit. So, oh, okay. and there's a lot of flashback to to when he was a cop in in, in Detroit, and it sort of connects to the person he is now, the city that was then and 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 is now. And this was a few years ago. It's like the in fact the city I that book came out and the city declared bankruptcy like a week later. It was just the, a, a matter of timing, good or bad, that um, that this book came out right when the city was at its lowest. And I was back here for that book, and and that was really sort of the what we were all talking about was just, was just where Detroit was. And then I was just there today, and it's you can really see a difference already, just just in a couple of years. I'm, I'm, I was really it really felt good to see that. So, I don't know, maybe, I know, um, well, I hope it's not giving too much away. Close your ears if it is, folks. Uh -oh. like Jakarta is where, um, oh, okay. so, so it seems like Nick Mason is heading not to Detroit, because I was thinking you can't right. just quick make him reversed strategy to go to Detroit if he's on his way they, to an international locales, it seems like. Nick, and, Nick and, um, and Alex will probably meet each other someday, but, but for right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Why not? But. But Nick Mason right now, part of the um, – there, there are some big surprises in, in this book, and everything kind of gets turned upside down. In exit but, strategy. In exit strategy, okay. yes. But but the one thing that I knew about this series from the beginning is that if you think about this, the you know what this deal is, that he has to answer the phone and do whatever he's told, there's no reason that can't take him anywhere in the whole world. And that's sort of what is going to happen in, in this series going forward. And so that was sort of the – the plant and the difference, a big difference between Alex right. McKnight and Nick Mason, what it sort of allows, it sounds like, for you as a writer. It is. It's going to be, I mean, it was, the Nick Mason series is a lot more challenging. It's something I wouldn't have done when I was a, when I was a young writer, just, just because of a couple things. And one of, one of them is, is the character himself and that as a criminal who kills people, that's kind of two strikes already. Um, so to make you connect to him and to make you root for him even that's it that's a tricky thing to do um but i've actually been really kind of amazed at at just how well he's been received by people and how how that connection really does get made with with readers um and and the other thing is that there is a much bigger canvas really because because he can go anywhere 
and and you will go anywhere. So I'm going to have to, you know, really sort of be open to. I mean, it's 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 a little easier to write about paradise than it is about the rest of the world. Paradise, Michigan. Paradise, Michigan. Let's yeah. take a short break, and then we'll be back today on Living Writer Steve Hamilton, um, Exit Strategy, his latest Nick Mason novel. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. I took my love took it down Climbed a mountain and I turned around And I saw my reflection in snow-covered hills Till the landslide brought me down Oh, mirror in the sky, what is love? Can the child within my heart rise above? Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today on the program. Steve Hamilton is here. We've got Exit Strategy, a Nick Mason novel on the table with us just out yesterday with Putnam. Um, and thanks to thanks to uh, Elena Hershey, actually, oh. for sending along um, the books for the Liz and I. Um, and thanks to you, Steve, oh. for coming by the station today and talking in person because it's going to be rigorous for you. You've got I was looking at some of your days in Michigan and you're at mm-hmm. multiple locations. Tonight you're at the Ann Arbor District Library right. at seven, um, hosted by Aunt Agatha's. So folks can swing by there tonight in Ann Arbor. But you're going to be like. I don't know, like Mackinac City, Mackinac mm-hmm. Island. Petoskey, uh, Charlevoix. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be in Sault Ste. Marie. Finally, I'm going to get back to the UP. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, it's, but, it's, you know, it's it's just great. As long as I'm here, just go see as many people as you can. Uh, and like we said at the beginning, it's just I just love going to a place and talking to people about books. And it's just like the most, you know, you, you sit in your room late at night and you write these stories, sort of telling them to yourself. And then you get to go to a bookstore or a library like this, and you get to see the people who've actually read this stuff. And it's just, it's still the best feeling in the world. I'll never take it for granted that people have spent so much time in that same world that you've, that you've spent, and they know these characters really just as well as you do, and sometimes better, which is embarrassing when they know, when they can remember details, especially with Alex McKnight, because he's been around a long time. And I'll forget things like how many exactly how many years he played minor league baseball, or <laughs> and somebody else will remind me, and then I'll. It's a very embarrassing moment when, literally, and it happens a lot when uh, when readers know him better than I do. So and and the Alex McKnight series that you were, um, that was you sent in your manuscript. It was chosen by St. Martin's. Mm-hmm. Press, um, and you you wrote with them yeah. um, for seventeen years. <laughs> yeah, and then something happened with the Nick Mason series. There was like a you decided to change. Right? Could is there a, a way? Is there a short story version the, of the, that? The sh- <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a terrifying experience to um, make the decision that the 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 people that I loved at that place were all gone. And 
this felt like this new series was sort of the most important part of my life. It's like I'm going to either really become a full-time writer and really go for it instead of living that double life of because I was still working at IBM, IBM in the day. Yeah. I was I did that for 12 books. Living, you know, working at IBM and then going home at night and writing and then my coworkers would go on vacation and I'd go on a book tour. And that was fine. I mean, I, there was no complaints about that. I was I was getting to live out my dream, but this was like the one moment where I could really just go for it all all the way with this with this with this Nick Mason series and um, there was there were a lot of promises made about what was going to happen to make that happen, and just right before the book came out, like, like literally they were about to print the book. I can show you the original cover, the what what it was going to be, and I just realized this isn't going to happen. They it just it, this is going to be a disaster. How did you realize? It that? just re just the things that w that we were talking about finally happening for to to support a book, they just weren't there. We, you know, we, it just, you know, and I just, we, it was just, it was as much just a gut feeling as it was just a hard reality to know that, if, that this wasn't going to work. And so just a few, just a couple months before the book was going to come out, we actually pulled it and we bought out our contract. No small um, thing. No small thing. Actually, it was my agent who bought it out. He wrote him a check himself and bought out the rest of the contract. And it was a really, it was really scary. That I, mean, I remember that night we were, I was just was sort of laying awake at night with my wife and wondering if we'd made the biggest mistake of our lives. And but it was only one night we had to worry because the next day, with by the end of the next day, within that much time, um, we had offers from ten other publishers on that book, and we went with Putnam that night. And last summer, this book. Um, the Second Life of Nick Mason, it came out, and that that was our first appearance on the on the Times bestseller list. Um, so it's been it's so been it a, right a, a it's been a crazy ride to get here, but so and it, and the book was always called The Second Life it, yeah, of Nick it was. Mason. Sure. So, but I'm sure you were. And thinking, then oh, that's so, so you're right, and then we got we got all the. It's kind of ironic how that worked out, and we got all this press, and we you know we were in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and Esquire. And um, and we knew it would happen, but but sure enough, that was like that was like a common theme in a lot of these stories is that this is my second life as a writer, which is and, kind of must have been a little weird to hear because from the other books you'd won prizes, you'd right. been translated into you know is it right. seventeen other languages? Sure. I don't know. Seventeen seems to be right. a magic number here, but um, but this one you felt differently about. Like this could do something different. This these the series that's the what book. it felt like yeah. yeah in fact in fact i'd already quit my job at, at ibm at that point so, i mean i was i was life. i was already all in on this idea of this being being a new life um and so it was a, it was a crazy crazy summer and you know, but and you know I'm, I'm not the kind of person who wanted to make a big show of it and make and get and make front page news as being the guy who fired his publisher and that's that's not what i wanted to do that's that's right. not that me. That wasn't the story that you. Were I mean, being, it's, it's yeah. even yeah, it's just not me anyway. But um, the the amount of support I got from other writers around the world, I heard from so many people who were just who just really were cheering me on through that, and it just it meant a lot to me, and it was really overwhelming. Well, I'm so glad. Oh, thank you. I'm so so glad, and so 
so Nick Mason then, um, you're not writing when you're on book tour because you're you go and you do you talk with the audience, the people who show up yeah, tonight, oh, sure. for example. What would they expect? Because Which, you're not going to read. I, I I'm not really good at reading out loud. Um, some people have that skill, and and I sort of envy it. Um, and I'm not good at it, but I, but I am good at just hanging out and talking about the book. And it's just like these these people are here because they love this book or I hope they like it at least. And, <laughs> and, and maybe some of them know me and some of them don't, but we just, I mean, how often do you get to just talk about a book anymore? So yeah, it's, it's just a great time. And can people like, do folks ask you questions about your writing yeah. and how, like your process and sure. get inspiration from that? Yeah, that's, that's the best kind is instead of just me there up there yakking at them, if, if they can ask me questions and it could be more, um, more of a conversation, that's, that's the best kind of event. And, and so, well, let's talk maybe, hmm, shall we give them a bit of a preview then? Let's talk about your process now. Like how, now that you definitely know that this is what you've, right. <laughs> you're not at IBM anymore. Right. <laughs> so you're writing all the time. Has your, like, do you, do you write every day? Um, what sort of, like, how did you know to trust? Like, was there a voice that became Nick Mason's or, or did it kind of grow out of this conversation of like, I want to try something different like a different series did you know nick was going to be a series i knew it was yeah this time i mean with with alex you know going back to just wanting to write a book a private eye novel that turned into something other than a private eye novel i didn't i wasn't thinking about book two or three or or number 10 or number 11 which actually i've i've uh, i should mention i i have turned in the next alex mcknight book um, I'm not, I don't know exactly when it's kind of, when it's going to be out, but it'll be out with Putnam. It will be out with Putnam. Yeah. Okay. I've, it is, it is turned in. Um, and it's really kind of, it's maybe the darkest book with Alex McKnight yet. Ooh, um, do you think that's informed by some of the darkness that you've encountered with Nick Mason? Maybe I think so. I think, I think that's probably a part of it. It just, I mean, it just felt like this is, you know, um, I took a break from Alex once before. Um, and I wrote The Lock Artist, which was a whole nother, I mean, we could do a whole hour, not that anybody wants to listen to me for an hour, but we could do it, we could really talk about... Well, I bet some folks are hanging in there now. We're almost to the hour. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll have to tease the another next time. Another hour, yeah. We'll, we'll tease the next time, but that was, because that was a whole different experience as a writer, writing about a young character for the first time, writing about a criminal for the first time, writing about, for, for some bizarre reason, writing about a, a character who doesn't talk. As somebody who writes, who likes dialogue so much, why would you pick a main character in your biggest book yet who doesn't say a word in the entire book? Literally, why would you, Steve? I don't, I don't <laughs> even know to this day. It's just that's, I literally got to, the, to his first point where he was going to talk in that book and I realized he's not going to talk. And it, I, I don't even, I can't even explain why, but, but that was a whole trip that, that book. Right and there. sometimes it seems like now that you've been doing this long enough where you know to trust that. Exactly. Like I can see you, you're, you don't even want to go there. You just want to think, look, I knew that that was what that character, who that right. character is. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. don't question that. That's, you're right. Do you question other things when you're writing though? Yeah, of the course. Process or... I mean, once you know, once you make this decision for, with your gut, and then you go with it, there's plenty of time to second guess it later. And there were plenty of times when I was writing that book that I got lost in worse than I've ever been lost in anything in my life. 
where I really did doubt if 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 I was going to finish that book or if if it I I I thought that that was the last book I'd ever try writing at, at at some point. It was it really got to be that bad, but I just trusted that there was something at the end of it, and um, and keep and, going and right that's, the next yeah, day. That's, right? that book really it's the most personal book to me, maybe the most important in some ways because that's the book I think that really changed my life. And it was also a book that appealed, like crossed over to that the was, young adult yeah, audience as well as adult. I didn't adult even realize readers. I was writing, I was writing a young adult book, and I didn't even know it. Uh, just because, and not just because the character was eighteen years old, that doesn't make it a young adult book. It's just some of the themes in a young adult book, which are very advanced these days. It's not just you know you you, you can't write down to a young adult market. Right. In some ways, it's more sophisticated than an adult market. There's so much going on for you when you're 18. But it changed your life. It, it, yeah, it did. Was I, it getting through it or? It was getting through it. It was, it was, it was finding that story. And there's some really, really gut wrenching things that happen in, in, in that book. And in, in a way it was me, even though I, I can obviously talk and, and I can't open safes. I'm not a safe cracker like Michael was. I can open locks now cause I've learned how to, how to be a lock picker from, from that book. But um, just writing that book was, was just the most amazing experience as a writer. Uh, maybe you have the, like, you know, the imagination, it has the fortitude to go the distance. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, thanks for talking with me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Come back anytime. Sure. Okay. Friend of the show. Absolutely. Um, Steve Hamilton, um, will be at the Ann Arbor district. District Library tonight, um, hosted by Aunt Agatha's at 7 p.m. Um, Steve Hamilton, his latest Nick Mason novel, Exit Strategy. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Está escuchando WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Bienvenidos a la media hora norteña.
amor a provocarme Yo te aconsejo se te olvide la intención Sincero nunca miente Tú me has pagado con monedas sin valor Te perdoné una vez y lo volviste a hacer Y te burlaste siempre de mi corazón Sin 